this will be a shorter than normal sermon because we have baptism. So, so, so just you've got to jump on. We're just going to jump. We're going to get right onto it, okay? And you need to be concentrating right from the start. So if, if, um, if you're new, let me catch up real quick. So Paul wrote this book called 1 Corinthians uh, to this church that had a number of quite specific problems going on. Um, for example, uh, they were pretty loosey-goosey around the sexual behavior. Um, they also treated church services as opportunities to show off. Um, there were various people suing it. They were like suing each other in the courts in the church. Um, and what Paul does is in the letter is he, he spends a couple of, a few chapters, like four chapters, say, for each of these issues, right? So it's super simple. For the first four chapters, he's focusing on divisions. There's lots of divisions in the church. And our reading is uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 18 to 4, 5. Probably good to have it open. So we're coming to the end of this first issue that he's dealing with, the issue of division. So that's a bit of a summary. We're all on board now? Great. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's, let's make it happen. So... Um, they were dividing over really stupid things. And it's, I mean, this is easy, I think, for us to relate because, I mean, it's just easy for us to fall into divisive behavior, I think, in the world. And the internet has created this incredible, it's just this incredible enabler of division. Uh, let me give you an example. And I was trying to think of an example because, you know, sometimes I might give examples and they're like about parenting or like Winston Churchill, blah, 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 you know. So, um, and uh, our director of youth has been saying, can you just, like, can you just talk <laughs> like something even remotely relevant to people that are like 20 years old? <laughs> Mr. Beast. <laughs> so relevant, right? So there's a generational gap right there. So Mr. Beast is not the devil. Mr. Beast is Mr. Beast is a the, the second most popular YouTuber in the world. Anyway, Mr. Beast is really popular. I'm absolutely killing it with the youth right now. Well, um, he paid for cataract surgery for a thousand people in developing countries. So these are people who are effectively blind. All they needed was cataract surgery. They couldn't get it in their countries without the money. They didn't have the money. He paid for a thousand people to get this, uh, curing them of their blindness, right? Huge backlash. This happened quite recently. Big backlash against this. Not for the self-evident fact that it was like, well, of course he's doing it to promote his kind of brand. No. Um, he's been accused very publicly by lots of people of ableism, which says you are in wanting to cure these people of their blindness, you're assuring, assuming that they have a problem with it or you're assuming that there's something wrong with them. And he's sort of going, look, they wanted the surgery, they asked for the surgery, I gave them the surgery, they loved the surgery, it's brilliant. But there's a big drama around this. People are saying it shouldn't have happened. So this is a great example. Like, we can divide over anything, like anything. So what was the issue in Corinth? It turns out that there were two sources of division. The first source of division was self-deception. And we see this in verses uh, 18 and 19. Verses 18 and 19. Let no one deceive themselves, for if anyone thinks they are wise 
or she is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise, for the wisdom of the world is folly to God. Okay, so what, what's Paul talking about here? So there are these folks in the church who had deceived themselves by telling themselves that they were very, very clever. Because they lived in this really academic city, there's lots of philosophers in this city, they saw themselves as really super sophisticated, as we would say in New Zealand, very sophisticated. And Paul, they thought, he's just some hick from some other place. We don't need to listen to Paul, even though he founded the church. We don't really need to listen to him because we're very sophisticated. So you had people in this church who were kind of pushing themselves forward to be leaders, which would be okay-ish, I guess, except the people pushing themselves forward were just absolutely enamored by all the local intellectuals, by all the worldly wisdom. Their hearts were more sort of Corinthian than they were Christian, and they hadn't really grasped what faith was about. They just kind of wanted to be impressive. And Paul says that wisdom that you're grasping at, that you think is so brilliant, compared to God's wisdom, it's just folly. It's just foolishness to God. And if you actually could read all four chapters in a row, you'd see there is this line of reasoning. Paul says, look, we've got to put, you guys have got to put the cross back at the center of what we're about. Not all this other stuff you want to kind of run this church on. Like the fuel that you're putting in the tank is all the local sort of intellectual stuff. And he's going, no, the fuel going into the tank of the church, it's got to be, the cross has got to be central. Because all your stuff that you're on about, that you love, it might sound really impressive, but no one's, no one, that's not going to save anybody. One of the things I like about the whole Anglican thing, you know, Anglican's not the only way to do church. It's the way I like to do it. Uh, you probably like it. Um, but one of the good things about it is that even if the sermon is rubbish, you're still going to hear the gospel every week through the liturgy. Somebody up here is still going to say, Jesus died for your sins and he rose again and you are forgiven and you're going to be with him forever. Isn't that brilliant? So I, I appreciate that. So you're still going to hear that every week. Okay, so first point. Paul says you guys are divided, you're fighting because some of you have deceived yourself into thinking you're very, very clever and it's causing all sorts of problems. So stop doing that. Stop deceiving yourselves. If you really want to be wise... You've got to take the posture of somebody who is foolish and say, Lord, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what's going on. Help me. Teach me. Okay. Second source of division, verses 21 to 23. So let no one boast in men. So let no one boast in people. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. You are Christ's and Christ is God's. Okay, so I know that Corinthians is very dense. It's quite confusing. So let me tell you what I think is going on here. So not only were the people in the church posturing intellectually, they were posturing when it comes to their favorite leaders. And we've mentioned this in previous sermons. So some folks were saying, I'm a Paul guy. Some folks were saying, I'm an Apollos guy. I'm a Cephas guy. They were doing that. Instead of just being like, aren't we really lucky to have all these great people around us helping us in our faith. Instead of that, they were dividing into these little cliques and bad-mouthing each other. And they were doing this because that's how the world operated back in the days. 
So in Corinth, we, we've talked about this before again, the, the great celebrities of the day were the local philosophers. So they would go to the public squares and they'd, you know, talk it up. And they were very clever and they were excellent communicators. And what people did is they kind of attached themselves to these philosophers. They'd say, I'm a follower of such and such a philosopher. I'm a follower of this philosopher. So you'd have these like gaggles, these groupies around particular philosophers. And they didn't like the other groupies who were attached to the other philosophers. They were kind of like, like um, snobby intellectual versions of English um, soccer hooligans, for example, right? And this is all helpful to know because this is, this is what... Um, the reason they would do this, it's not even necessarily... I mean, maybe they kind of liked a particular philosopher, but it was more about gaining social status. Because... The way to climb social ladders was about who you were connected to. And they figured they'd just pick their person who, think, who they thought was the most sort of powerful kind of philosopher person and then attach themselves to that person to gain, as we would say in New Zealand, they'd say to gain mana. It's a New Zealand word, it's a Māori word, mana. And it sort of means what it sort of sounds like. It's respect, it's kind of like power. So in the church, people were acting this way in Corinth. They would say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. Again, they're just trying to elevate their own personal status by connecting themselves to the person that they thought was the most influential, the most powerful, who had the most mana. And Paul says, I know what you're trying to do, and stop it. This is not how Christians operate. Verse 21, just don't stop boasting in people. Stop that. Stop boasting of people. And he gives a good theological reason for it in verses 20 to 23. He says this, and it's a little bit tricky to follow, but just stay with me. He says, Christ is God. You belong to Christ. These leaders belong to Christ. In fact, the whole world belongs to Christ. The future is Christ. The present is Christ. Life and death is Christ. So what does that mean? Christ is supreme over all. So because Christ is over all and you belong to him, those things belong to you. Okay, just stay with me. I know, I might have lost some of you right there. Just stay with me. I don't fully understand it myself, but I'm just going to say some words right now, and I think they make sense. All right? So here we go. You ready? Here is what I think is going on. Paul is saying, stop saying, I belong to Apollos. Theologically, Apollos belongs to you, is what he's saying. Stop saying, you belong to Paul. Actually, Paul is a gift to you. He, he belongs to you. And then what Paul does is he unpacks this a little bit more. But first, just a reminder of where we're at. Where we're at here, big picture, okay? So Paul is addressing division in the church. He says it's caused by intellectual posturing, which is just foolishness compared to the wisdom of God. He also says, I want you to stop this relational posturing, because both of those things are hurting you spiritually and they're hurting and damaging his church. Okay, so Paul wants to unpack this idea of how is it that Paul belongs to you or Apollos belongs to you rather than the way that you want to do it and you want to like latch on like a leech to the local biggest brain you can find to increase your status in life, okay? So Paul says, stop using leaders to boost your ego, stop using leaders to boost your pride and your sense of sort of social status. Right, he says, okay. And then what Paul does is says, so um, let me tell you how you should 
relate or how you should regard leaders in the church. So we're in chapter 4 now, verse 1. He says this, This is how one should regard us. That's Paul, Apollos, Will, myself, people who do this kind of thing. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay, I'm just going to pick one of those words here. Um, the word servant here, it's a very, I mean slave, but a very specific type of slave. So it's the lowest of the lowest slaves. So it literally means under oarsmen. So you know like gladiator movies, Roman movies, and you have the big boats, and then you have, there's always a dude sitting at the back of the boat with the massive drum, boom, 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 boom. It's like, this is a great, this is a great movie. And then it kind of zooms in down into the ship to underneath in the, in the bottom, the basement of the ship. I don't know what that, what, what's, the, what's the bottom of a ship called? The galley? Oh, it's the kitchen. Anyway, like right in the bottom of the ship, you see the dudes rowing. Those guys, there's like 20 of them. I made that number up, right? But there's like 20 of them rowing. That's the word. Like it's the worst slave. They're in the they, they, just, they die every time in these movies. These are the guys that just die straight away. The under oarsmen. So Paul says, let me tell you how you should relate to um, these guys you're trying to leech onto to gain social status. They're right at the bottom. That's the picture of the church leader. The picture of the church leader is someone who serves. Leaders are servants. The people of Corinth, they didn't belong to Paul. It was like, it was the other way around. Paul belonged to them. He was their servant. So this is what I do. I exist to help you grow in your faith. This is what I've decided, this is what God has said I should do with my life. My job right here is to help you walk with Jesus. It's not to make you happy. I hope you're happy, but that's not what I'm trying to do. My job is to serve you, to help you be on mission for Christ in Vancouver. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 2, he says, Moreover, it is required of stewards to be found faithful. So this is really good. This is what you should know about what I do. In this role, in Paul's role, in Apollos' role, the church leader, my goal, am I succeeding? It's, it's about am I being faithful? That's what I'm aiming for, faithfulness. So the people who do this sort of work, I mean, like I come to the scriptures each, you know, each week, my goal is not to like, what's the freshest take What's the big, fresh take on this passage? No, that's not my goal. My job is not to do that. It's not to be an iconoclast. It's to be faithful to the words before me, do my best job I can of explaining these things faithfully to you. Right. The people in Corinth didn't really get that. They treated their pastors like they treated the local celebrities. They hoped to glean social status from them. And Paul says, we're not superstars. We're the under oarsmen. Now, we go to verses 3 to 5, because this is where he sort of starts to pull and scoop up everybody, because right now this just sounds like a sermon for pastors, right? So, uh, 3 to 5, let me read it quickly for you. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human in, in court. Uh, in fact, I do not even judge myself. Okay, we'll come to that. But I am not aware of anything against me, but if I am not thereby acquitted, it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation or her commendation from God. All right, so how does this little last part relate to all the stuff I've just been saying? 
So as we said before, Paul had some fans. He also had some detractors who didn't like him. Remember the groups would go against each other? That was going on. And um, uh, those who were judging him had just these worldly categories to judge him by. Like, you're not slick enough. You're not good-looking enough. Your, your presentations aren't sharp enough, that kind of thing. So how does Paul think about that? What does he say about that? And it's so great what he says. I love what he says in verse 3. He goes, I don't care if you judge me for not being superstar philosopher. I don't care if you judge me. In fact, I don't even judge myself, he says. Isn't that brilliant? I don't even judge myself. Many of us I know in our heads, it's like we are constantly on trial in our heads. And it's like we have these two judges in our, in our brains. Um, one judge represents what other people say to us. Judgey, 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 judgey. The other judge represents us telling bad things, us telling bad things to ourselves. And we're always guilty. We, we always come up short. And it seems like Paul has kind of jumped out of that cycle of thinking. It's like my identity doesn't owe anything to what others say about me. My identity doesn't owe anything to what others say about me. Whether you think I'm failing or succeeding in ministry. I'm just doing my thing here. Not even his own fallible assessment of himself. I should have a bigger church that should be growing, blah, 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 blah. It's like I've just, I'm just, stepped, I've just stepped out of that. I'm not even going to judge myself. So when it comes to ministry, he goes, what matters is what God thinks. High self-esteem, low self-esteem, it's not even on his radar. He's just getting on with what the Lord has for him in his life. And for some of us, it's this. For some of us, it's to be, uh, you know, like a great dad. Or for some of us, it's going to be um, in your workplace that's going to be your ministry. Or you're at college, be a great student, minister to your friends. He's just like, just get on with it. Just, just get on with what the Lord has for you. Isn't that great? He's not worried if his ministry reaches these sort of acceptable levels these standards that other folks have for him or that he's placed on himself. He's just being faithful. He doesn't have this tortured conscience that some of us have about what we're doing in our lives. I love that. Isn't that brilliant? Now look at the last verse one more time. It talks about judgment. It talks about disclosing hidden things. And it all sounds a bit like, oh my goodness, I hate this stuff. This is so heavy, heavy, heavy. But the last verse, then each one will receive his commendation from God. It's like he scoops us all up and he goes... The only judgment that matters in your life is God's judgment. And when we think about judgment, what do we think? We think discipline, right? But here it's about reward. Each one will receive his commendation from God. Isn't this brilliant? On the day of judgment, there will be disciplining, but also God will praise you. That's the way it's also translated. For all the good things you've done in the world. Isn't that a wild idea? On the day of judgment, it's not just... Christians, you are forgiven. Here you go. Right? Here's the door. You know where it is going there. It's all fantastic in there. Forgiven. Just, just go through. Next. No, it's like you'll hear from the Lord. Fantastic. You know, you did that thing. That was there. That was great. You did that thing. Oh, that was awesome. Well done. Remember the time you said blah, 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 blah? Gee, that was good. Love that. Brilliant. You did that. Well done. Which means there's great continuity between this life and the next. How we live affects the next. It all matters. Maybe I'll just say that. It all matters. Judgment, good and bad. 
It all matters. God will commend you. I love that. I'm going to close up here. God loves his church, loves his people, loves communities like this. He hates it when it's hurt, hates it when it's damaged. And so we must pray, because we don't want to be, we don't want to be part of that, right? We don't want to be the people hurting the family of God through posturing. You're trying to connect, you're trying to climb social ladders in the church, or thinking that we are smarter or cleverer than, you know, a couple of thousand years of very robust theology. So we ask the Holy Spirit to transform us. And that's what the gospel does, doesn't it? It's, it's what it did for Paul. It's what we pray that it will do for us. It transforms our hearts. transforms our hearts. So we're no longer captive to the opinions of others. We're no longer captive to our very wobbly opinions of ourselves. We're no longer captive to those things. But what we are captive to, what we do long for, what our great desire is, that one day we will face God. And we will hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.